So let me, let me just address kind of where we are today. Uh, we are going to, over the next couple of weeks, start playing it by ear to see what happens. We don't know what kind of guidelines are going to be laid down by the CDC or the state of California at this point. Uh, right now, Santa Barbara County, CDC, and the state of California all say no gatherings over 250. We actually only have 198 chairs in the room, so we're okay. If things change, we'll let you know. If things get worse, we'll let you know as well. I, I got to tell you, th- this thing is, is spreading like crazy. And we all know if somebody's going to get it, it's going to be me, right? <laughs> because that's what happens. So please don't steal our toilet paper. <laughs> we only have so much. Got to keep it going. You can't buy any more right now. So, so please don't. I'm not making, trying to make fun of that or anything. I just, it's just a reality. It's like, hey, they got some. Don't take it home with you. Uh, right now, there, yesterday, there was one case, that had, an active case that got reported in San Luis Obispo County. Uh, there are not any in Santa Barbara County right now. Uh, that doesn't mean there won't be any. I'm sure there will be, but I'm just trying to throw that out there for you. Uh, also, uh, communion is going to be a little bit different today. I'll explain that when we get to the, the end of the message, and, and I'll talk about that. Uh, all of our kids' stuff... Uh, we have cleaners come in weekly, and they clean stuff. All the toys are sanitized every week. Uh, we also bought this really cool-looking, it's like a gun thing, and it, and it shoots this stuff, and it like sanitizes everything as it goes and it dries. And so we spray everything down. I know, you wish you had one at your house. I, actually, I had it this week and when we were in the office, and the door handles, them all, and I spray it on the door handle, and I'm like, okay. So you're supposed to let it dry. So I'm like, with my leg, and... Walked out the door. Uh, I, I think right now there are, there's two extremes that take place. There are people who are fearful and in a lot of anxiety about all the stuff that's happening, and there's people on the opposite side who make fun of that and those people who are having a hard time with everything. I think we should be a people who settle somewhere in the middle of that. I think it's important for us not to make fun of people who are anxious and scared because that doesn't help them at all. And so we must be those who come alongside. And I think we understand what the, the grace and the truth of the gospel is, that the gospel brings hope and life. Uh, throughout the history of the church, when there have been pandemics in the world, uh, Christians typically run towards the pandemic. They are those who step in and offer hope and healing and grace because in the midst of that, a lot of times there isn't a whole lot of that. Now, that doesn't mean if you, you know, have a cold and you're coughing, it, don't walk over and say, let me help you because that's not going to help anybody. But if, if there's somebody around you, maybe you know someone who is elderly in your community, uh, maybe give them a call. And make sure they're okay. Uh, do some welfare checks. Check in on some people around you. Offer the, the hope that God has first offered to you. And also understand that uh, influenza A and B are still out there. And people can have colds and it's not the coronavirus. And just keep that in mind, all right? Because it's not like if someone coughs, it's like, oh no, you're going to kill us all. Uh, it, it could just be a plain old normal cold because the flu is still out there. We need to be a people who step into things like this, who are full of grace and hope, because our God has first rescued and saved us. So let's be those people. And as, and as weird as you think some of the people's reactions are, like the cops have to be those who guard the truck at Costco that delivers the toilet paper, you know, you might think that's really dumb. But it, again, it doesn't help people if you just make fun of them. And so we need to be those who kind of step into that with, with some grace. Uh, so just let's be those people, all right? Two of you. Okay, and the rest of you just laugh. All right. Um, if, you, uh, 
If you are new to Element, uh, welcome. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Uh, this is actually not just a one sheet. It's a it's a full sheet today. On the inside, you have this thing called the Bless Grid, which is kind of kind of come out of what we talk about today. I'm not going to deal with this in my message, but it might help you to understand some reactions of some people around you. And on this side, you'll get a big idea of what we're talking about and some questions to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and Then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, and it says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who sharpen one another as we come alongside of each other. But we would do that in terms of understanding first your great rescue of us and what we call the gospel. That because of how we've been rescued and saved, it would move us to a place where we understand more what people are going through around us. And we'd step into those things, especially in what's going on in our country and the world today. That you would teach us to be a people who sharpen with hope. Uh, that bring grace to many situations where maybe there isn't any right now. And that you would then use us to be those who steer people to who you are and the goodness of your rescue of us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series. We're calling it Acts Part 2. Acts Part 2 is doing Acts 13 through the end of the book of Acts. It's a lot of times just following Paul's missionary journeys as he goes to the world to spread what he has experienced himself, and that is God's rescue of him in what we call the gospel. I've told you Acts 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire book of Acts, and you've seen Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, and this guy named Barnabas be selected by God's Spirit and sent out to go to all these places and talk about what the goodness of God is truly about. That God is the one who has come to rescue us from the places we have run away from Him. That when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, He dies for our sin, what separates us from God and us from one another. He rises from the grave to give us new life, and Paul is speaking about that in all of these places. This missionary journey of his is the first one he does in the book of Acts. There are more than one, and this missionary journey will go 1,500 miles, some on land, some by foot. God used this to bring great success to the forward proclamation and the message of the gospel, but God also allows Paul and Barnabas to go through some trials. And when I say trials, I mean people throw rocks at your face to try and kill you if you think that's a trial. Uh, they first go to a place called Cyprus. Cyprus is Barnabas' home territory. Then they go to a place called Salamis, not Salami, but Salamis, and they preach the gospel there. And they, at this point, they're with a guy named John Mark. From now on, this morning, I'm just going to call him Mark. Uh, but Mark is the one who we believe wrote the Gospel of Mark. Things got a bit tough in, in this place called Pamphylia, and Mark ends up leaving Paul and Barnabas and going back to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas continue on to other cities. You can listen to the podcast if you missed it, but they eventually will end up back in Antioch in Syria, a major hub of Christianity. This journey is thought to have taken them between 18 and 30 months. Now think of your life between one and a half and two and a half years. How much of your life changes between one and a half and two and a half years? 
a lot, right? A lot, of, a lot of things happen. I mean, even walking with Jesus, how often sometimes are you really excited about him at one point, then feel like maybe you're dragging it other places, and then you kind of come back in the midst of that? This is the reason that Paul will continue to go back to these churches, that he establishes elders to encourage the people in those churches and grow them. In Acts 15, when Paul comes back to this church in Antioch, he finds some Jewish people have arrived. They believed in Jesus, but they still thought all of these converts had to become Jews before they could become believers and then come into the family of God. And what that entailed for these people was being circumcised. It's like Paul left, people showed up who were very serious about religion and tried to convince a bunch of men in this church to not only follow all of the ritual Old Testament law, but to chop off their foreskins. And I'm wondering, how many guys did it? Because I'm sure there were a lot that did. Well, I love Jesus, and if I, if I want to be serious, okay. Whatever. So then what happens is Paul shows up and he hears about this. And Paul and Barnabas go a little bit ballistic. They're like, no, you are saved by the grace of God alone. And these other guys are like, we're from the church in Jerusalem. And they have to be circumcised. And Paul says, well, let's go to the church in Jerusalem and figure this out. So they did. This is called the First Church Council. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And there they get together and discuss all of this. And they come down to the conclusion, which is the right one, that there is nothing other than faith in the work of Jesus that rescues and saves us as a people. This whole hullabaloo kind of takes place, and it's beautiful how the church kind of comes together around the message of grace. Peter will actually stand up, and he will talk about how he went to a Gentile's home named Cornelius. And he says, you know, Cornelius was saved. The Holy Spirit came down upon this entire household, and it wasn't because of some ritual, and it wasn't because of circumcision. It's because faith in the grace of what God does. God saves this house. And Peter makes another argument. He will say, how can we hold all these Gentiles to a standard that we've never been able to keep, that all of our forefathers for thousands of years have never been able to do. And this is the beauty that we are rescued by grace and grace alone. Paul will go on to reference this in the book of Romans, that the whole point of the law was to lead us to Jesus. So the Jerusalem Council, they send uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas back and with this letter saying they did not need to be circumcised or saved by grace, but they did give them some instructions on how they were supposed to do life together because a lot of them were from different cultural backgrounds. Now, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. The church in Jerusalem, when they send Paul and Barnabas back, they send two people as witnesses with them to say, yes, this is our decree. You can trust what Paul and Barnabas are actually saying. These two guys' names were Judas and Silas. They're highly respected. They're also prophets. Acts 13, verse 33 to 35 says this. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. That is Judas and Silas. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now let me take a quick two-minute side excursion here to help you understand something. If you have a Bible, you'll notice verse 34 isn't in there. Verse 34 says this, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Seems like a really weird line to leave out of the Bible, right? Well, this is one of the reasons you can trust the Bible that you have. When people say, oh, you can't trust the Bible. Oh, you actually can. Because what happens in the coming verses is Paul's going to set out on another journey. He will take Silas with him. But verse 33 seems to indicate that Silas went back to Jerusalem. Now, by all indications, Paul and Barnabas probably spent one to two years at Antioch before they set off again. And so there's no problem with, you know, Silas going back to Jerusalem, then coming back to Paul on his journey. But somebody thought, oh, isn't it congruent? People are going to get confused a little bit. And so some copyist decided to put a little note in there that, oh, he, he just stayed in, with Paul. 
Trying to help people not be confused. And all it did is confuse everybody in the end. This is why you can trust the Bible that is in your hands. Because they are always going back to the earliest manuscripts we can find. So you have the most accurate copy of the scriptures that you can. Rather than trying to hide anything, they put a little note on the bottom that says, this is why it's not there, this is what it said. What you hold in your hand as a Bible is the most painstakingly accurate work in ancient or modern library. It is not a translation of a translation of a translation, as some people like to say. It is translated out of those earliest manuscripts directly to you. It is actually more accurate than the works of Shakespeare we have today. So that's my side note. Now let's keep going. Moving on. So all these wonderful things are taking place in this church. It's you're saved by grace. Yay, this is wonderful. It's a time of celebration. But in the time of celebration, it's, it's like when you watch a movie when everything seems to be going really well. You're like, oh no, what's going to happen? Well, something happens. Acts 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Sounds great. Let's go back and talk to these people. Let's encourage them. It's going to be great. Verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Now, I said to you a bit ago, Mark is Barnabas' cousin. He left Paul and Barnabas, when things got really hard in the midst of that first missionary journey, have you ever been let down by somebody who you counted on? Uh, Almost every single one of us. I've had people be like, I will be there to help you out 110%. And then they don't show up, and I'm left scrambling. The next time they offer to help, what do you do? Like, "Eh, you know, if you want to come, sure. I'm not really going to count on it. Verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. He left them hanging. Verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, there's so much here what takes with Paul, place in Paul and Barnabas. And if you want to understand how you can also trust your Bible, Luke, the guy that wrote Acts, if he wanted you to think that there were no problems in the early church, all the leaders were angels, he would never put this in the scriptures because it shows them acting pig-headed. And pigs might have been more level-headed than they were at this point because the word for this disagreement is this word called paroxmos. And today they will use that in a medical context to mean like a convulsion or throwing up from food poisoning, a high fever where your body is like bright red because the fever is so high. It's this incident of yelling and angry faces. It's interesting because this is a much more poignant word than is used when Paul and Barnabas are arguing about grace and circumcision. It's like this argument was a bigger argument than that one. And later, Paul will go on and he will talk about how bursts of rage will hurt the family of God. And I think he's probably thinking back to this moment. And this is the problem when two people think they are so right, and they both maybe even are right. And what comes out on the back end of that? So Paul, right? Paul is rightly looking at Mark's record of giving up when things got tough. In baseball terms, Mark never made it to first base. He's just going, oh, I'm I'm done. What would happen if they tried to stone Mark or Paul again? What's he going to do? Is he going to run away again? In those early days, Paul knew you need people who can be relied upon in the face of adversity. And you never know how reliable someone is until something happens and makes you go, oh my goodness, our world's crumbling around us. What's going to happen? Mark showed that when things got hard, he wouldn't stick around. He got up and he ran away. Like like a kid who tries to sleep over at his best friend's house for the very first time. And they're there like two hours and they call him like, come take me home. Like, no. 
When I was a kid, uh, we had all these fields around our house. Uh, and, and other kids would go in and they make jumps out of either dirt or out of wood or things like that. And so now it's all houses. But we would, so we'd go over and ride our bikes over there and go off the jumps. And these five kids show up this one time. And they're the ones who apparently made the jumps. And they come over cussing and screaming at me. We're like, you know, 10 or 12 years old, cussing and screaming, you know, get out of here, you know, and we're going to beat you up. And I'm like, nah, and I keep riding my friends all whoop and just rides away, right? <laughs> I got beat up by like five people when I'm like 10, 11, 12 years old. I'm like, he was Mark. That's all I'm saying, okay? He's Mark. When a, when a mob is chasing you and running after you, throwing rocks at your head, you can't run home to mommy. And in contrast this with how Paul wrote about this guy named Timothy. In Philippians 2, uh, chapter, or verses 19 to 22, Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, who be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the father he has served with me in the gospel. Some commentators even think that Mark was in a place where he didn't like that Paul was sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And that's one of the reasons why he left as well. It's all speculation. We don't know. But you can see why Paul boxed, right? You can see his point? Okay, great. So let's look at Barnabas. Barnabas is rightly looking to offer grace and a second chance to Mark, just like we have all received from Jesus himself. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. He's really living up to his name at this point. Think about this. Uh, If you go through the first part of the book of Acts, you run into this guy named Saul. Saul becomes the apostle Paul, but he's running around killing Christians. He's murdering them. The church is afraid of him. Paul's like the boogeyman, the Osama bin Laden, Jeffrey Dahmer of the early, early church. And Paul actually goes and he lobbies government officials to get letters to go and arrest Christians and pull them out of their home and sometimes exterminate them. As he's on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, knocks Paul on his butt and says, Paul! Why are you doing this to me? And then making him, Jesus, you know, I'm connected with his church. Why are you doing this to me? Paul becomes a believer. Eventually, three years after his conversion, he goes to the city where the other apostles are. And in Acts 9, 26 and 27, this is what you read. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. It's like of all the people to join the church, the person they have the hardest time with is Paul. Verse 27, but Barnabas, but Barnabas, who? He's our man. Barnabas, right, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Somebody among them understood the gospel well enough to point out that it is Jesus who saves And Paul, with all the uncertainty and all the hate against him, comes into the apostles' inner inner circle because of Barnabas. That's amazing. He moves forward in the grace of Christ to continue to proclaim the gospel, and they do that with one another. Barnabas is probably thinking, you know, Mark's Mark's young. He's young. And he probably didn't know what was going to happen on this journey, but now he does, and he wants to go again. Mark's prepared now. When they go to Jerusalem and and talk about grace and faith and circumcision, uh, Barnabas probably spent a lot of time with Mark because that's where Mark lived. And so he's probably seen a change in Mark. And we always have this problem when we're looking back and trying to figure out what people were thinking 2,000 years ago, right? If you're married, you can't even do that with your wife or your husband who you're around every single day. That's why you get in fights all the time because you don't know what they're thinking and what, what they mean. But I think we can look a little bit at this, okay? I think Paul, you could say, Paul, sometimes you're too driven. And you can run over people in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And Barnabas, sometimes you're too trusting. And you might find yourself up a creek without a paddle if you bring that guy. They are both right. 
in different ways. And that's what makes arguments like this so hard. Now, it is important to understand that Paul and Barnabas eventually do figure this out, and they get back together, they resolve their friendship. Uh, Paul even does this with Mark. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9-11, through 11, this is written probably around 67 AD, right before Paul is martyred in Rome. But this is what he says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So what you see is Barnabas' faith in Mark actually did pay off. He did change. The book of Galatians is written a couple years after this. You see Paul and Barnabas again together working in ministry together. Barnabas will wobble in his faith a little bit, but in the end of that, they actually listen to each other. And this is one of the ways that the Scripture teaches how to disciple each other. We speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into each other's lives all of the time. There are places and times we can completely disagree with each other, whether it's philosophy of ministry, politics, how... COVID-19 is spread, whatever, yet still come back together in friendship and work for the forward message of the gospel. The verse I had you stand for at the very beginning, in that Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So many people think that verse is just about having good, honest discussion and we both agree at the end. No, it can also be what happened to Paul and Barnabas, where you're so angry you go separate ways. I mean, Paul and Barnabas are so mad, they essentially go to different parts of the world. You get mad at your spouse. I'm going to sleep on the couch. It's like, I'm going to go on the other side of the ocean away from you because you drive me so nuts. Can you imagine? That's what happens there. And yet, in the end, because of their hope and trust in the gospel, it brings them back together again, just like it's meant to bring us together again, stronger with a larger perspective than when they ever separated. I, I know that when we have arguments, it might feel like it's life-changing consequences, but we don't have the same consequences as Paul and Barnabas did here. But you might ask, God, why is it always so difficult? Why are people such a pain in the rear all the time? Why can't all of us just get along? Well, I will tell you, throughout the course of history, there is nothing but people who are going to disagree with you. There are nothing but people who you're going to run into problems with at times. And I am surprised it really took this long for Paul and Barnabas to get to this point. Because their, their personalities are so different. And if we don't have different people around us, we're never going to be sharpened. And we are meant to be sharpened by each other. If God were to get rid of all the difficult people in the world that you disagree with or, or drives you nuts that aren't like you, everybody with quirks and flaws and ugliness and sin, we would all be gone. <laughs> Every single one of us. Uh, there'd be no sharpening. What you really need to do is thank God for the hard people in your life because they are the ones that will sharpen you the most. Everyone in Scripture, God places difficult circumstances and people in their life in order to grow them. We are a people who want to sit around with our friends who are just like us and make fun of everybody else who is not like us, thinking that God only wants us comfy. No, God wants to grow us, and that's why He does what He does. You look through the Scripture and you see all these different people shaping other people. So Moses, yeah, Moses, Moses, God sends Moses to a guy named Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks he's God. Pharaoh is the most powerful man at the world at the time. And what does it do? It strengthens Moses' resolve and faith in who God is. you got Elijah, one of the most loved prophets in the Old Testament. He not only has an evil king he's got to go up against, but a woman named Jezebel who entices all the other prophets of God to run away from God. And yet it grows Elijah. Uh, this book of Esther in the Old Testament. Esther's like, oh, what a great book of how Esther trusts. It's so Esther trusts because there's a guy named Haman who wants to kill all the Jews, and Esther has to trust God enough to do what she's supposed to do. There's somebody hard in her life. 
Uh, Jacob, the guy that in Genesis, God changes his name to Israel, where the nation of Israel will eventually come from. Jacob has an uncle named Laban. And Laban is a guy who's a better deceiver than Jacob is. And in the end, it teaches Jacob to learn to trust God by the time he leaves after 20 years with that uncle. If you, you have King David, or David, before he's king, he has this King Saul who tries to kill him multiple times. John the Baptist has a guy named Herod. Herod will eventually kill John the Baptist. And Paul and Barnabas, they have all these people in these places that kind of go after them, but they also have one another. And if God loves you, which he does, and if God wants to grow and shape you, which he does, he will have difficult people in your life that will sharpen you, and you will sharpen them. Which is kind of good news, because you might think everybody's terrible, but you, know, you are the person he's sending into someone else's life that's going to be their hard person. You're welcome. <laughs> and this is in the church, this word that we call fellowship. So often when people hear the word fellowship, they think like cookies and punch and awkward conversation. It's really weird. But really, fellowship is this word for this rivers of living water that flow between one another and between God and us. God uses us to shape one another's lives for the purpose of growing us, to understand also how the gospel goes forward, how we work through hard situations. Fellowship is people who will laugh with you and cry with you and encourage you, but also people who rebuke you and drive you nuts in love. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, Paul will encourage believers how to live with one another who believe and also those who don't believe in an effort to encourage how we go about the truth of the gospel, how it goes forward. See, this is one of the results of what the gospel brings into our lives, where we understand it's Christ's death and resurrection that gives meaning to everything we go through so we can step into any relationship, every encounter, because he is our rescue. Have you ever thanked God for the hard people in your life? You know, no. Maybe now. We'll see. Acts 15, it is not the end of the story. It's not. I think in both Barnabas and Paul, they're looking at the truth of God's rescue, taking the message out, but there's still a little bit of fear in there in how they respond to these things. Right? Paul's got a fear. If I take Mark, he may run away. I've been, been tried to be killed a couple times. I don't want to be left like that again. Barnabas might be thinking, he's family. What am my family going to think if I say no to this kid? <laughs> What's going on in that? I mean, you start in a place in Antioch, all of this celebration, but soon after that, they lose sight of what the gospel is. And when they lose sight of the gospel, all of a sudden they start to fight against one another, which is the truth that from the moment we all become Christians, from that first day to our last breath on earth, we need to be what Matt Chandler calls in the explicit gospel, but he calls it, we need to be re-gospeled over and over again. We need to be reminded what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. Because for the rest of your life, you will look around and you will see people who are further along than you in your walk with Christ and people who are behind you. You'll see people more passionate and less passionate. You'll see people who are more forgiving and less forgiving, more bold and less bold. And you will come in you'll have your own struggles in the realm of morality and judgment and all the things your mind starts to wander towards. And we must remember that as a people that God has places in a family with other believers who are in much different places than we are, and they will come alongside of us, and they will sharpen our dull edges when we get too blunt to live in the truth of grace. And I think this is what happens in Paul and Barnabas' life. I think we all have struggles in how we treat and respond to one another, uh, how what people say and do affect our lives. We have struggles in regard to our pursuit of God, living the life that he creates us for. Uh, Sometimes we'll feel super close to Jesus, and sometimes we won't feel close at all. Sometimes we hear his voice leading, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we'll freak out about a pandemic, and sometimes we'll make fun of a pandemic, and we're supposed to come somewhere in the middle of all of that. What we need to be reminded most through all of this is God's rescue of us, because that is what resets us. We're reminded of why, the why of the gospel, 
Because just like Paul and Barnabas, we tend to forget it too. It is why every week at Element, we bring you to the same place with the same sermon. It's all about Jesus. Because at Element, we believe we all need to be regospeled every week. You need it. I need it. You come here every week. Same message, different text, different illustrations, same message because we need it. And when we talk about the gospel, it enables us to walk into all these different topics to talk about, whether it's singleness or marriage or friendships and money, pain, loss, grief, happiness, country music, COVID-19, whatever it is. I don't think we'll truthfully be able to talk about any of it without understanding first the initiating love of God in our own rescue. That has seen the coming life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did in the midst of that struggle in that church in Antioch between circumcision and grace, between salvation and grace. But it is also something that needed to be done with them when they lost sight of the gospel as well, when they had their their Break up between each other. I, I would think that maybe on that next journey, Luke and Silas regospel Paul. I think that Mark regospels Barnabas. Matt Chandler writes this. He says, We need to be regospeled week in and week out, lest we drift away from it. And even with good heart, start to react with fear and control and turn into manipulative moral agents, thinking everybody around us needs to be just like us. And this is why at Element, we are not after some type of conformity where we put a whole bunch of rules on you, where you have to like my humor or the musical style. What we are after here is transformation. And transformation comes because of what the gospel does in our lives. A lot of churches today will try and put tons of restrictions upon people in their congregations because they think they can manipulate people to change. We believe that only God's Spirit coming to indwell us and remind us of the gospel day after day is what is going to change people. One writer said this, the man whose knuckles are white from trying to modify his behavior is not free. This means trying to live up to a moral we'll never be able to live up to because it doesn't bring transformation. God's spirit brings transformation. And I'm not saying there's not times in our lives where we white knuckle some things, right? Where you learn to fight fair in relationships, where you learn to say no to that website, where you learn to love the hard to love person. But God does in his time by trusting him His spirit moves us to a place where when we really understand the gospel, that's what molds and shapes us to understand who God is and what he does in our lives that we love because he first loved us. And it's like I said a couple weeks ago, so often we hear the gospel, but I don't think we always hear the gospel. And it's why we need God's spirit and one another. Because may our foundation be a foundation that is founded on the gospel and the gospel alone. And from there we build relationships. From there, we step out into the ends of the earth. But we go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Because if there's any other motivation, we are building on uneven ground. We are building on our own morals and what we think people should do. And we must always build on the gospel. And I do. I think the beauty of this is that it's in the scriptures. You see this blow up, this big fight. And in the end, what will bring them back together is their understanding of God's rescue. Paul didn't think Barnabas needed to be crucified because he sinned against him. Jesus had already been crucified. Barnabas didn't think Paul needed to be crucified because Jesus was already crucified. They come back together in relationship. And we must be a people who do the exact same thing. If you are going through something hard with somebody else and you want a way that your relationship can come together again, you understand the gospel. That's where you start. God's love and rescue of you. Now, every week, we try and bring you to a place of communion because it's, it's a way to reset and refocus us. Today, we're not doing that. Uh, we actually had individual communion cups on the table that you could take, and then we thought, well, then people are going to touch them to get them out of the basket. It's just going to be weird. If you would like to take communion, in the back, there are single-use communion things you can take home with you. 
Uh, you can wash in the sink, disinfect it with your bleach or whatever. I don't know if I'd take it after that, but whatever. Uh, but you can take it home and you can have communion. But we have to remember, communion is only a symbol. It's a symbol. Communion doesn't save you. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, it's remembering of what he brought about in the gospel to rescue and save us. And we're at Element. We do do communion almost every single week. I think this is the first time we've ever not done communion, actually. Uh, we, we do communion because it's a reminder of what Christ has done to rescue us. That isn't the place where you're saved. That's a reminder of it. And so today, we would like you to be a people who are reminded of Christ's rescue and take the time you would have spent at communion thinking of somebody that you need to restore a relationship with and maybe you know, start to reach out and start to pray for them in the midst of it. Because this is what the gospel brings. It brings restoration and reconciliation among people because of what Christ has done. So the band's going to come up. I'm going to invite you, if you need prayer, there'll be some people in the back to pray with you today. If you do have a relationship that's kind of has started to deteriorate, that has some blow up in the middle of it, and you don't know how to bring that back together again, and you'd like someone to pray with you, they would love to pray with you about that. They'd love to help move you to the place where you understand what the gospel is in our rescue. I love how they tag team it, by the way. It's great. It's a buddy system. Paul and Barnabas right there. Um, <laughs> where, where we, If you have a relationship in your life that you feel like has been broken, sometimes on the other side of it, there's nothing you can do to make someone step back into that. But if you understand the gospel yourself, you can come to a place where you have forgiveness for them. And then if you guys eventually do get back together at some point to talk, you don't have to talk about all the ways you were hurt. You can start to actually share the grace and the good news of God's rescue and not all the things that were done wrong, but the hope for the future of what that relationship can be. And that's what the gospel brings in us. Always looking to what Christ did to rescue us, but that glorious hope that every single day we get to live in what he provides because he is so good. Uh, There's offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We don't pass the plate, especially today. Uh, You can also also give online if you'd like as well. I I give online. I never touch anything you guys touch. Uh, There's no snacks or anything outside this morning. We made that decision yesterday afternoon. In the midst, uh, but I would encourage you, uh, take some sermon notes, maybe meet with some people this week in a, in a smaller group in your home, less than 250, uh, and, and maybe, if, maybe if you're afraid to be around other people, maybe call somebody on the phone, you know, do some welfare checks with some people around you, because the, the, the bigger this thing goes, the more that people are going to become isolated. And as believers, we need to step into the isolation of the people around us to continue to find ways to develop community, even if you can't be around one another. Because the gospel has brought us into relationship with God, so we step into relationship with one another. And nothing in the end should stop that, because our focus is on the gospel. And I would encourage you guys to be a gospel-centered people, especially in the midst of hardships and relationships, because the gospel rescues us and then sends us into the world to speak of that good, redeeming news, because that's where we're first focused. Let's be those people. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as a people, And move us to the place where we really truly begin to understand our own rescue of what you've done for us. Not so that we become myopic and look at ourselves and say, yay, look at me, I'm saved. But we'd understand it in terms of restored relationship with you. And in turn, how you are calling us to restore relationship with one another. That in the end, there's nothing we ourselves can really do to pay for the sin that sits between not just us and you, but us and each other. 
and in the good news of your death and resurrection, you pay for all of it. So that we can be a people who can step back into relationship again because of what you've done. So as we understand the gospel, have our mindset look out from ourselves to see those around us. That we would be a people who'd be full of grace and hope because our God has given grace to us and restored our hope. Have us be those children of yours, ambassadors to this world, speaking of your great grace and rescue because you are good. And when we get off track, send difficult people into our lives to remind us of our own rescue. That we would understand that as difficult as other people seem around us, we have been way more difficult to you. And yet you loved us and sought us and brought us back into your family because of your great love. So teach us to live in that love as we have first been loved. And we ask that in your son's good name. Amen.